Welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast from Women's Health Melbourne with Dr. Raylia Liu. Hi, Raylia. Hi, how are you going? Good, thanks. Today we are talking about pre-implantation genetic screening. Let's start with what is it? So pre-implantation genetic screening is, or the new terminology, which is pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. Um, they're, not, they're not making it easy for us, are they? No. So the, the, way that, the way that things have been talked about in the past is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis was the first kind of term when we take cells from embryos and genetically test them looking for specific diseases. So the word diagnosis really means that we know what we're looking for. We're looking for a, a problem like cystic fibrosis or another genetic condition that the family's prone to and so we can test embryos and diagnose whether the embryo has that condition or not. Um, Pre-implantation genetic screening as opposed to diagnosis was then defined as a term when we just look to see if the embryos have the right number of chromosomes Um, because as women age and as the eggs kind of metabolically are not as competent as they once were, those early cell divisions um, which are really critical in the embryo having the right number of chromosomes can go wrong and an embryo can have either too many or not enough chromosomes And those kind of embryos are what we call aneuploid. So PGTA was then the revised terminology um, at the European Society of Reproductive um, Endocrinology. And PGTA stands for pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy, which is chromosome abnormalities, the wrong number of chromosomes. So PGS and PGTA terms can sometimes be used interchangeably just to confuse everybody okay so don't be confused by the terminology what is it (laughs) (laughs) so basically you or i have 23 pairs of chromosomes we get one complete set from our mum and one complete set from our dad so think of it like a chessboard and you've got the chessboard set up at the beginning of the game and you've got one full set from black and one full set from white. So we get one full set of chromosomes from our mum and one full set of chromosomes from our dad. Chromosomes are basically the volumes of the encyclopedia of life. Um, That'll mean more to people who actually remember what encyclopedias looked like before they were online. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, basically each chromosome has DNA instructions in the form of, of genes And we need a complete set of chromosomes to have the right amount of DNA, the right instruction manual to make a healthy human. And embryos that don't have the right set of chromosomes can either cause them to just fail completely and not make a baby and not cause a pregnancy. It can have a a baby that can start out okay but then miscarry if the chromosome number is abnormal or in the worst case scenario, it can create an abnormal baby. Um, A common example is Down syndrome where that's probably the, by the way, the least medically concerning aneuploidy. It's obviously something that um, is compatible with a baby being born healthy, um, although with some medical problems. Uh, but lots of other chromosome abnormalities can cause babies to either be born and, and die soon after birth. Um, an example of that is a chromosome 18 um, 
problem having a, an, an extra copy of, of chromosome 18 um, or have babies that, that are progressing in pregnancy to quite late and then cause a late-term miscarriage, which is very upsetting, and that's like having an extra copy of chromosome 16 or triploidy, which is an extra copy of everything. Um, so, look, these these problems are, are pretty serious and, and cause very difficult decisions for parents. And when we do screen embryos before we put them back, we can decide whether we want to transfer embryos that, you know, might otherwise, if we hadn't have done the testing, been, been transferred without thinking, but we might actually think twice about it and, and decide not to transfer those embryos. So who who's the testing for? So we, we discussed briefly that aneuploidy or chromosome error is more common when women are older. So I generally don't advocate genetic screening of embryos for women who are under 37 as a, a general principle, at least not in the first IVF treatment. And the reason for that is it's it's not cost effective for women under 37, whereas it's actually quite cost effective for women over 37. And in Australia, we have to consider the cost of testing because when we screen embryos, there's absolutely no contribution from our Medicare system. So patients pay for the technology themselves. It's a really intricate technology. It uses a lot of very expensive materials and assays and requires a complex laboratory with advanced staff and equipment. And it's quite expensive. So I can comment on practice where I do my IVF treatment at Melbourne IVF. We have the advanced laboratory in-house. So that gives us a um, an advantage in terms of the time that it takes to run tests being quite short. It would also mean that the embryo isn't going anywhere. Yeah, so there's, there's no transport of, of embryos. Um, and also we are one of the largest laboratories in Australia, so there's an economy of scale there for our patients. So in, in our lab it costs $700 to test one embryo and, and that would be one of the more affordable ways of doing it. So it, it can be quite expensive. I've heard in other laboratories that it can cost up to $1,000 per embryo. So it's, um, it's not an inexpensive exercise and you don't want to do it for patients where it's not going to make a, a, a really big difference to their treatment. Other than cost, what are the other risks involved with testing? So you can lose an embryo because you've tested it. That's the minority of embryos. It's important there to also explain that not every laboratory is the same and the level of expertise of the person doing the testing is and, and the staff trained doing the testing, the equipment that they're using, all of these things influence embryo survival rates from genetic testing. In the best hands, um, it's about kind of 3 to 5% of embryos that are lost when the biopsy goes wrong. Because we actually have to take cells from the embryo in order to test them. And what happens is there's a laser biopsy of about between four and six cells from the embryo when the embryo is at the blastocyst stage, which is the day five or day six stage of life. At that point, the embryo is like a ball of cells. There's about 150 to 200 cells in this ball of cells. And the outer cell layer is called the trophectoderm, which is destined to be the placenta. And that's the part where the biopsy is taken from. The inner cells are called the inner cell mass, and that's the part that's actually destined to being the baby, to be the baby. 
So we don't actually test the, the clump of cells that's destined to be the baby. We test the cells, and remember all of these cells came from the single sperm and egg, so technically in an ideal scenario they should have the same DNA. Um, we test the placental cells and make an assumption that that represents the whole embryo. So another pitfall of genetic testing is sometimes that assumption doesn't hold because mistakes can be made in an embryo at those downstream stages of cell division as well. So not just the original cell divisions, but later on as well. So what that can mean is that an embryo can be what you call a mosaic embryo, where some cells are normal and others are not. And in that case scenario, sometimes we detect the mosaicism and sometimes we don't. So there's always going to be a false positive and a false negative rate of results from embryo testing. They're never 100% certain. So they can be 95% certain, but they're never 100% certain. So there are cases in the world where genetically tested embryos are called normal and have resulted in abnormal babies or miscarriages. And there are also cases where embryos have been called mosaic and have been put back despite being called mosaic, that counselling has been undertaken and it's been decided that we think there's a chance this embryo could be normal and completely normal healthy babies are made from mosaic embryos sometimes. So what I do with my patients, if there is a mosaic embryo where some cells look abnormal but the, the most of them look, they look normal and especially an important part of this is that the mosaic embryo is mosaic for a problem that wouldn't be compatible with an abnormal baby. The embryo might not work but um, it's very unlikely that if you tried to give this embryo a shot that the, the baby would be abnormal then, you know, I, I send my patients to have professional genetic counselling about that particular problem within the structure of Melbourne IVF. We're lucky in my unit that we have genetic counsellors on staff um, and we unpack that problem and we talk about it. I talk about it, the problem with them. The counsellors talk about the problem with them. We decide whether that embryo gets transferred. And in my practice, I've had normal babies from mosaic embryos myself. So... What, what are the limitations of the testing? So the limitations, so we, we talked about the fact that the test might get it wrong some of the time, a minority of the time. The test might cause us to lose the embryo. It's also important maybe to mention that with today's technology, it's not possible in most cases, um, in fact in all cases of blastocyst biopsy where you want to use the very accurate techniques of genetic testing, to test an embryo that's going to go back in the same cycle. So it involves freezing and thawing the embryo. So sometimes even embryos that we don't test can be lost in the freeze and thaw process when you freeze and thaw an embryo. So you might lose the embryo at the point of biopsy or you might lose the embryo at the point of freezing. It's unlikely. We lose less than 5% of our embryos that we freeze, at least in our laboratory. So it, it, it's basically about... You know, the limitations are you have, to, you have to use this technology fully understanding what it can do for a patient and also understanding where it's best not to use it. And it's probably best not to use genetic testing in patients where there's a very limited number of embryos being made. And genetic testing, genetic screening of embryos for aneuploidy 
is at its high point where you have a woman who is at a high risk of having aneuploid embryos. So for me, the balance tips around 37 where more embryos are going to be abnormal than normal. And we know that. That's why not every woman gets pregnant with every IVF cycle. There's a significant burden of abnormal embryos that we just don't diagnose as abnormal because they look normal when you look at them down a microscope. I said before, you know, if you look at the example of Down syndrome, every baby ever born with Down syndrome, if you looked at the embryo down the microscope on day five, it probably would have looked beautiful, you know, and, and, you know, not to say that babies born with Down syndrome aren't beautiful, they are, but... What I'm trying to illustrate is that a chromosome abnormality cannot be picked up by looking at an embryo, but it can be picked up by testing an embryo. And um, look, those are, those are the major limitations of, of the technique. So if a woman is in her 40s, let's just say, and she's making a very low number of eggs, a very low number of normal embryos, you've got to remember that testing it doesn't change the reality. So it doesn't make an abnormal embryo normal. It doesn't make a normal embryo abnormal. It just lets you know what you've got before it's implanted. Yeah. So what that gives you is it gives you the advantage of being able to strategize, right? So it's pretty useful if you want to embryo bank. So let's just say a couple come to you, they've started their family later in life, and you want to put some embryos in the freezer for them for baby number two and you want to know what you've got so that you can really accurately prognosticate on their chance of having more than one child. So that's a good reason. Um, I've had patients in my practice who have come to me because they've had a termination of a baby spontaneously conceived with an abnormality like um, trisomy 18, for example, and the woman's gone through hell and she doesn't want to go through hell again. And yet, because of age, she's at a high risk of aneuploidy happening again. So in that case scenario, genetic testing is really useful. Genetic testing is really good, um, genetic screening of embryos, if a woman can make a whole heap of embryos, but the majority are abnormal, so that you can kind of find that needle in the haystack without subjecting her to what I call trial by transfer, which is when you put an embryo back and it fails, you put another embryo back and it fails over and over again, because that can be one of the traumas of IVF. Um, so a woman really has to be a good prognosis candidate for genetic screening, for genetic screening to be at its best. But what genetic screening of embryos can offer a good candidate, a woman who can make lots of eggs and make lots of embryos, is that it can reduce her time to conception because we're not putting back embryos that are destined to fail, so-called trial by transfer, and also it can reduce her risk of miscarriage once she is pregnant and certainly can significantly reduce the conundrum presented with abnormal genetic testing in utero um, in the first trimester because there are a significant number of women and men who would not continue a pregnancy if an abnormality presents at the end of the first trimester. And so it basically takes that circumstance out of the or certainly ra radically reduces the risk of being in that position. And I think when you've been trying to get pregnant for some time, being able to reduce that is really quite huge for the, the woman especially. Yeah. Well, for a lot of women who are older, aneuploidy may be the reason that they're not getting pregnant, either not getting pregnant at all or having miscarriage after miscarriage. Remembering that statistically 
at age 40, if you conceive naturally, your chance of having a miscarriage is at least 50% and it goes up as you get older. So sometimes the presenting issue is age-related infertility and aneuploidy. And certainly egg quality is the issue there, not necessarily egg number. So in women who can make a lot of eggs and are having quality concerns, genetic screening of embryos can be a really, really good thing. Um, but having said that, every woman is individual and unique and, you know, if a woman's, you know, kind of in her early 40s and is only making a very low number of embryos, if that's your best chance of, of having a baby, if that embryo is your only chance, then messing with it can be the wrong thing. So everybody's different and, you know, kind of... You were saying to me before that you have known people in different scenarios personally... Did you want to comment about that at all? I was just, yeah, I've, I've, I suppose I've known two cases, one where the woman had um, five or six embryos, so testing was the right thing for them based on her age. And then in another case where um, there was only one embryo being achieved when going through the IVF process and the best decision for them was not to test in case they lost it during testing or freezing and it was better just to go to implantation and take that risk because it's better than going through the whole process again. Yeah, yeah. and both of those couples that we've talked about have had healthy babies. So, you know, it, it's, it's all about individualisation of care and I think IVF in general is about individualisation of care. Um, there are models of care where it is more of a production line model um, and that may be okay for really simple problems but when we have complex concerns especially for women as we are over 35 um you know individualization of care i think is key thank you thank you for joining us for this week's episode of knocked up the podcast about getting pregnant for more information about Raylia women's health melbourne and how to get pregnant please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne or you can send an email with any future episode requests to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. See you next week.